Welcome to the Bomb Shelter, your weekly journey through the miraculous world of film. Let's do this, man. Well, it's been a long, 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 long time, but we're here now. Huh? Yes, we are. How about it? it yeah, this is, man. This um, is the kickoff of season two for the Bomb Shelter. Yes. After our it first is. 13, 14 shows. Uh, I think we did 15. I think Greece was 15. Greece 2 was number Pretty 15. Sure. There you go. Well, Pretty good number. Since the Greece 2 episode, I have been in three different countries. <laughs> yeah, you have, but... I, I, I also moved country once, like properly moved country. Uh, you and I made a short yeah. film together. Yes. Yes. That, that that was a lot of fun and also very mentally draining as uh, uh, directing a short film usually is. Yeah. I think the only thing we didn't do while you were here was film and record Bomb Shelter. That's the only thing we did. Because we had dinner. We shared True. alcohol. Yes. Uh, we we shared, I think, we slept under the same roof for a couple of days. Yes. Uh, when we were making the film. We did all that. Yes. I think the only thing we didn't do is record this thing. That's true. And, you know, the schedule was kind of tight. Uh, yeah. Let's just, I mean, let's, let's just keep it at that. But we're back. We're going yeah, to be, we're gonna sure be we back are. next week and the week after and the week after and the week after. We're back to Forever, regular for podcasting. We're, for the rest of your miserable, sad lives, we're going to be bringing content to your ears forever for every week. No more breaks. We're just going to go, you know what? We're going to go season two. We're going to go 15 episodes of season two, and the next week is going to be the first episodes of season three. Damn. You're not going to get a warning. You're not going to get anything. All right? That's just how, that's just how it goes, man. That's wow. just how it goes sometimes. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. This is it. Well, uh... We we have a lot to talk about. We do. Uh, before we get into our feature presentation, for those of you who've just tuned in and are new to the show, yes. the lead into our feature presentation is a short segment called What Did You Watch This Week? But since it's yes. been such a long time between episodes, yeah. get ready for a one-off segment called What Did You Watch Lately? Pad, why don't yeah. you get us started? <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, so recently, I have watched uh, I've watched a couple of things that have immediately made it into my favorite movies of the year. I watched uh, Talk to Me, which is a pretty good horror movie. I watched uh, Asteroid City, which in a year that has Spider Verse in it, is my favorite movie of the year. I'm wow. as surprised as everyone else in my life is that I loved Asteroid City so much. Really, I'm not a fan. I'm not a Wes Anderson fan, and I loved Asteroid City so much. I thought it was so weird and so cool. Interesting. Really um, Interesting. Wait, wait. Interesting, I, because I would call myself a Wes Anderson fan, and Asteroid City left me numb. <laughs> I barely felt anything watching that film. And it's, it's, a, it's a weird sensation, because as I've said on the show before, uh, a Wes Anderson film feels like a magic trick to me, and... I guess Asteroid City was the first one that didn't feel like a very good magic trick. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess, and it's it's a weird movie. It's a very strange movie. It has like four layers of fiction in it, and it's uh, 
yeah, I, and I really, I really like the reflections on humankind's connection with reality in a way. It's, it's a fun, fun movie to me, and a, a very interesting movie. Very well acted. I thought Jason Schwartzman was great. I thought uh, Jeffrey Wright was unhinged in the best ways when it comes to performance in a Wes Anderson movie. Unhin- yeah, exactly. Um, unhinged within the Wes Anderson sort of yes. mumble yeah, yeah, yeah. quirk of style. Yes, of course. <laughs> he's... He's the mumblecore of filmmakers. Mum, I said <laughs> that, mumble, mumble quirk because mumblecore is like a different movement and everyone who's associated with that movement denounces that movement, but yeah. Okay, that, I, I guess that makes sense. But what I, I guess that's the thing I have to talk about the most. Uh, I also... Oh, you were going to mention something. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, no, it was... I mean, Asteroid City was great. I'm not a horror fan, and I loved Talk to Me. Really liked Talk to Me. Uh, was super happy to come out of a movie and be like, "Man, that was a good movie." You know what I mean? Like, like just like, "Oh yeah, that's fucking great." <laughs> that's a, that's a nice sensation. I yeah. I mean, who doesn't enjoy that? Wonderful sensation. And the other one, which I think we're gonna talk about together, is Past Lives. I was super impressed yes. with Past Lives. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was gorgeous. I thought it was bittersweet and sad and beautiful and all the things. Uh, movies don't really tend to be nowadays, which is just like, we should just engage with tragedies as like a storytelling form or a storytelling format. Because tragedies are part of life and films should kind of reflect that sometimes. Not all the time, I agree. We do need our Guardians of the Galaxy volume threes. And our, The Flash, just kidding. No one needs The Flash. No one needs the, um, the, the specific version of The Flash that we got. Yeah, no one needs Ezra Miller in in general, general, unless it's like a good movie, <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, sure, put him in, put him in person being a wallflower or something. But yeah, man, I I really like Past Lives. I thought it was, it really resonated in the sense of like, you you do disconnect yourself from from past versions of yourself, in when you move somewhere else or when you reinvent yourself, and it is sad to sometimes think about the person you used to be and be like well i'm i'm a different person now and i'm better but i miss that i miss that guy you know what i mean i miss i miss that little 16 year old kid and i want to i want to give him a hug oh for sure in terms of like technicalities and filmmaking i was convinced from the first scene onwards that this was going to be just beautiful to look at from the first oh, yeah, scene it onwards is. it's uh it's absolutely breathtaking visually, uh, the way they use uh, what looks like uh, sunlight, natural lighting, that sort of golden light and, and at different stages in the film, and the way they, they use these long shots that sort of move across while a character is walking through New York or wherever they currently are. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just... It's truly fantastic. It's absolutely yeah, it beautiful. And yeah, in terms of the... The script and the performances it all just uh oh my god yeah it read I mean, so Reynolds, real i've i like knew john mcgarrow was a great actor because i saw that movie uh first cow have you seen first cow i have not actually no it's it's quite a good movie and he's in it and he's great in it and i i've only seen greta lee in comedic performances which can also be great you know she's in russian doll as like a supporting yeah. character as like the like a secondary character to Natasha Lyonne's character, like her best friend that's in the party with her. That's true. And I was like, oh yeah, Greta Lee is pretty fun. Uh, 
And then seeing her in this is like, man, she's a powerhouse of a performer. And she got all the performance awards from like mid-season award shows and stuff. And it's like, yeah, man, she's great. If if they market the shit out of this, she's a she's a best actress contender. She's she's great. Hopefully, so is Tao Yi, uh, or what is uh, what's his name? What's the name of the guy who plays Hai Song? Hai Song. Hai Song. Yeah. I, I don't remember his name. I think it's Tao Yi. Let me let me check. <laughs> but yeah, man, the the three main people in the movie are fantastic. So great. Tell you, I'm, I'm, I Tell made you. a mistake in terms of vowels and the last name. There you go. Tell you, so good, so so. The guy who plays Heisung is so good. They, the three of them are really great. Absolutely, yeah. God, yeah. I don't, I'm th thinking about past life just sort of makes me, it makes me feel stuff, which is, which, which is always great with yeah. the movie, you know, Rem remembering yeah, really... certain parts and reliving that emotion. God. That's why we go to yeah. the cinema, Pat. That's why we go to the cinema. Again, it just brought me back to like, <laughs> just like uh, instances where I'm just like thinking about like, man, I remember being like 10 years old and nobody understanding why I was so into Optimus Prime or whatever, you know, like right. I was like, I, it really took Optimus me back Prime to that Optimus Prime specifically. Place. I mean, I'm, I'm a big, you know, I like my changing robots. I you see. know what I mean? And like, and like I was in an environment where nobody cared that I cared about changing robots. And I felt and I remember like having one or two friendships that I still cherish today. And I'm like, but every time I think about those friendships in particular, I'm like, I, I'm brought back to that place. And yeah. I and it, re, and it really resonated with me because like a, a person can represent more to you than just that person, which is a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, beautiful absolutely. Thing for a movie to do. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, well, in terms of other uh, films that I've seen lately, there is this comedy, that, uh, I think premiered at South by Southwest this year. Yes, it's from, making the rounds from, from a, from, I, I believe from a from a Canadian filmmaker called Emma Seligman, who also helmed the underrated and really top notch Shiva Baby. I'm talking about yes. bottoms. Yeah, making the rounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 reminds me of Walk Hard in in the best way possible. That at least yeah. I personally read it as a pastiche of the 1990s 2000s high school film. You know, just yeah. the fact of putting gay characters and women at the forefront of those movies is already changing up the formula quite drastically because a lot of those films yeah. very very testosterone very dude centric it's a it's a dude thing man <laughs> sure only, only dudes are only straight dudes are horny what <laughs> according to oh my god according to mid-2000s according to mid-2000s cinema only straight dudes are horny yeah and then you get this which is really, really funny. That. First of all, every single frame is just filled to the absolute brim with jokes. And then, for lack of a better word, towards the end of the film, the bottom just completely falls out and you enter this hyper-movie hyper reality. And <laughs> yeah. the ending is a, is, a, is a celebration 
I'm gonna just say that. It's a celebration. It's a, ce it's a celebration. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly how I would describe it. <laughs> There's no other word. <laughs> there you go. Well, without spoiling the ending, of course. And then I also got to see the um I don't know if it's the debut feature, but I think one of the first features for sure from English director Charlotte Charlotte Reagan. It's a film that was at Sundance earlier this year, and it's called Scrapper, and it stars two very young actors in their very first performances, as well as the fantastic and waiting for his big break, Harris Dickinson, who recently starred in both The King's Man and Triangle of Sadness. And here he really, he once again, gets his douche back on in, in the best way possible. Harris Dickinson is really good in the film, but truly the two main child performers, uh, the, the main character of the film, she plays, hold on, I have to look their names up as well. Yeah, okay, Lola Campbell, who plays Georgie, and Aline Uzun, who plays Ali, are both absolutely fantastic. So Scrapper <laughs> I, tells... I haven't seen... Hmm? I haven't seen Scrapper, so uh, I, I don't think I've even heard of it. So what is it? It's, well, let me tell you about it. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the story of a young English girl called Georgie. Her mother has died recently, and she keeps up a facade where she's able to live in her old house by herself, by, yeah. uh, well, keeping it clean, um, stealing enough bikes to make money to get by and having the local convenience store attendant pose as her uncle on the phone to social services. But then one day, okay. her dad, played by the fantastic Harris Dickinson, comes back and... Oh, hell yeah. He... Well, I mean, he, first he's come back. You don't really understand why. First you think he might have some ulterior motive. Maybe he's just a loser who lost his house and has to move back in with his daughter. But yeah. towards the end of the film, you find out why. And it's heart, both heartbreaking and really, really touching. It has a proper nice indie film score. It has a proper nice indie movie aesthetic. Once again, using those white shots amazingly. I have a thing for white shots. I mean, you might have noticed while we were making our film. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely picked up on that pattern of yours, uh, <laughs> that M.O., so to speak. Oh, yeah, for absolute certain. Uh, I don't know if, the, if, if Scrapper is going to arrive to any more festivals around the world. If, if not, it's a damn shame. But if you're able to check it out, please check out Scrapper. It's a, it's a beautiful independent film from the U.K., Everyone has Scrapper, uh, local accent. By the as way, well. uh, when you mentioned Scrapper, I, I immediately thought of uh, Decepticon with the same name. Is that so? Yeah, there's a Decepticon uh, called Scrapper. The only Decepticon I remember is Waspinator. That's a real Decepticon, right? Yeah, it is. It's one of the it's one of the uh, Predacons. It's Decepticons, but they're animals. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> They're there from the go, Beast Wars go. things. I think I think they were one of them wasn't the new Beast Wars movie. Huh. Who, by the way, was directed by Stephen Cable Jr., who I was like, what? Yeah, that's <laughs> Why true. Why are you here? 
Why? You, well, made, you made Creed too. You can make better stuff. Oh, that's a bit harsh. <laughs> dope, dope, dope. Uh, so here's another thing I watched fairly recently, and I'm currently obsessed over Ooh. because I've been tying it to other experiences that I've had watching reality television. I've been watching a lot of, particularly Gordon Ramsay TV shows. I have talked to Max about this. I am currently mystified by an episode of Kitchen Nightmares. I'm not going to get into this. This is not the place to talk about that episode of Kitchen Nightmares that no. I'm currently mystified by. All right? I'm, I'll talk about this. I'm going to start a podcast just to be like, what the fuck happened in this episode? But, however, back to the topic at hand. Shut up, Duolingo. Jesus. Some, some people have no respect. Some fictional digital owls have no respect for the bomb shelter. Some, so, some apps have no respect. Some apps have no respect, and Duolingo has none. If you check their Twitter, their TikTok account, they have zero chill. Um, wow. So I watched the now Emmy-nominated comedy series Jury Duty on Prime recently. Did you? And know? I, I remember when the show was first announced and it first came out, and people started having a conversation about it, like what the show was about. And I was like, "Oh, that sounds like a fun idea for a show." Just like prank, basically punk one dude into like a month of jury hearings that are not real it's like oh, that sounds fun but it also sounds exhausting and then uh i realized that james marsden was in it and i was like what james marsden is in the show that's that's kind of fun and then the emmy nominations came out and surprise surprise james marsden is nominated uh i'm is glad he? that somebody i'm glad that somebody's recognizing how talented james marsden is because it <laughs> does feel like he's he's been forever condemned to be the guy that loses the main girl in the story to the hot dude in the story. Like, he's been playing the cuck to Superman, to Wolverine, to Ryan Gosling in The Notebook. And by the way, they make references to Ryan Gosling from The Notebook in Jury Duty because James Marsden plays himself. Huh. So I w- okay. So when, the em- so when the Emmy nominations came out, I was like, I got to watch this shit. And I got on Prime. And what I noticed immediately was there. there's like... Maybe two faces that I recognize in the show. One of them is James Marsden, who's, again, playing a heightened version of himself. Who's, like, all the time bragging about the fact that he's going to meet Quentin Tarantino for a movie role. To the point that he basically forces the one juror who's not an actor, like, who the show centers around, into, like, doing six hours of rehearsal with him. (laughs) Damn. And, and, And this juror, Ronald, was a trooper the whole time. And he started acting with him. He was like, <laughs> James Morrison is like, no, say that with different intent. And he would be like, but you have to go to this place, man. Like, he would change his intonation. It's great. It's the best. It's him. And there's this comedian that I saw on uh, Comedy Central once. His name is Mekki Leeper. He's this Lebanese-American comedian. Oh, that's who you He's I, one of the writers. Okay. He's one of the writers on the show. And those are the two people I recognize. Everyone else is, like, from a... Is either like an act, like a character actor that's been working commercials for a long time, or just like not an actor at all, and just answered like a Craigslist ad for like, do you want to act in this fucking bullshit jury show? It's it's so great. It's it's one of those things that make you realize like how easy people are deceived by the concept of normalcy, and how easy easily we're like how prepared we are to accept weirdness in our lives like this guy you can tell from his look is like i'm just gonna process this thing later (laughs) and i'm gonna i'm gonna go home after this trial ends and i'm gonna just communicate all the bullshit that i saw to everyone in my life 
and then after five months, I'm going to forget about this. Completely ignoring that this is the most significant event of his life so far, where he's just going to be in this fake trial, and he's going to earn $100,000 at the end of it. Uh, it's it's really... I, sh I Like, I should say spoilers, but there's nothing to spoil except the fun of watching the TV show. Huh. Just just watch the show. It's It's eight episodes, 30 minutes each. You're in, you're out, you're laughing the whole time, because the whole time you're like... How is this guy not figuring out that he's being punked? And then you go behind the camera. And you're like, oh, I would have fell for this easy. <laughs> Anyone would have fallen for this easy. It was so well planned out. And it's a testament to how much effort people are capable to put into something that's ridiculous. Kind of like the Transformers. Wow. Uh, see, I, I also saw a brief clip about, well, no, it's, it's at the trial. <laughs> And an actor yeah, that yeah. I recognized was in it as well called Kirk Fox. Okay. Kirk Fox has shown up on Parks and Rec and on Community. And I oh, heard... Oh, he, he plays Pat McCurdy. He's a, he's a crazy bastard who plays Pat McCurdy. There you go. <laughs> he plays... Yeah, he's a weirdo. I heard that when Ronald on the show mentions Parks and Rec that they were like, Oh, fuck, if Kirk is around <laughs> yeah, too they were... much... Maybe he'll he'll realize that this is fake. So I, I guess we have to write Kirk out of a bunch of scenes now. Yeah, they did make a point of like, um, like the actress playing the bailiff says the wrong name. Like he she calls an actress, uh, her by her real name, not her character's name, which is another whole layer. You could just have done real names because this right. motherfucker does not recognize anyone in this trial. He could be just like, I am Mecky, and it's like no. I'm Noah Price. Like, he, they made a whole... He's a Mormon, and he's a virgin Mormon whose girlfriend is cheating on him. <laughs> and they still, like... Yeah, that's his character. And he could just be like, Hi, I'm Mecky Leaper. I write comedy. And he would have still had no idea what was going on. But yeah, they make a point of this, of, like, there's a scene where, like, the bailiff makes a mistake and calls an uh, an actress by her real name. So they have to think on the fly... So Ronald doesn't figure it out. Hey, why did why didn't you just call her Cassandra? Why did you just call her Cassandra? And they find one of the extras or like a production assistant or something. They go like, "Okay, you're gonna be Cassandra. We're gonna pretend that we're giving you a bag, and we're gonna be like here, Cassandra." So Ronald is like, "Oh, so he doesn't have to wonder who Cassandra is." Like oh. that's that's really intelligent. You have to be really good at filming. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sort of producing this sort like of situation that. to think on the fly. Yeah, man. Okay. And reality TV producers do that all the time. They do that all the time. And it gives me a lot of respect for reality TV producers, not the cast members. Fuck those guys. Fuck 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 the Jersey Shore cast. Like just just the people who made make that show and have to be like we're going to cut between like eight different cameras that we have following people around and we got to get the best angle of like the boom boom room and we got to like I was at a set of a of a reality show, and they make a mess. They make a mess out of everything. So you have to be on top of your game if you're going to film something like that. So I respected, I respected the film crew of Jury Duty a lot, and I laughed a lot at James Marsden. And I'm glad he's being recognized because his work on the show is great. It's really good. <laughs> so good. Well then, okay, shall we <laughs> dive in to our? <laughs> I think we should dive in. And I into I'm, our I'm feature presentation. This. I'm gonna preface our feature presentation by saying, uh, I unironically like 
King Arthur Legend of the Sword quite a bit. I enjoy this movie quite a bit. And I don't uh, know why, but at the same time I know exactly why. You know what I mean? Like I I have a I have I a remember... clickbait worthy thing to say about King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Pat, would you would you like to tell us the plot of King Arthur Legend of the Sword? Yeah. So, first of all, uh you know King Arthur, right? You've heard of him. Yeah. Okay, I was hoping, you know, because not a lot of people know who he is. So, uh, in case you don't know, uh, listener at home, uh, King Arthur is a prominent figure in British folklore uh, who is mostly, uh, you know, a lot of stories that are associated with him have to do with him pulling a sword out of a stone, and that sword is Excalibur. And he pulls the sword out of the stone, and he turns out to be the heir to the throne of England, and he uh, goes on a myriad of adventures uh, featuring the wizard Merlin and the knights Gawain or Garwin, if uh, the Green Knight is to be believed, which I think it is, uh, Percival and Galahad and Lancelot and his wife Guinevere and the sorceress Nimue and his sister slash worst enemy uh, Morgan Le Fay and his son Mordred. Mordred is supposed to be his son in myth. In this movie, he's like a wizard that gets decapitated early in the movie. Like, really early in the movie. It's like, no, we really needed more wizard stuff in this movie. I mean, so, way back in the day, people um, people just named each other the same thing. Like, there wasn't as big of a, of a variety when it came to names. Yeah. Also, there wasn't, like, a canon that people needed to fulfill. It was, like, five authors that never met each other being like, no, this is the true story of the King Arthur. And then someone else is like, the knight went ahead into the desert. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's there's... There's five different King Arthur stories that tell the same shit. So, this movie was reimagined by Guy Ritchie. You know, the lock, stock, and two smoking barrels guy, slash the snatch guy, slash the gentleman's guy. The gentleman? The gentleman. gentleman. Yeah. The, the, and the, the rock and roller shit. guy. The Disney's Aladdin guy. The rock guy. and roller. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to be the Disney's Hercules guy, I think, too. Which is like, why is that, do you do that to yourself? Is that is that going to be on still? Has that not been canceled? Yeah. Look, Little Mermaid made a bunch of money. (laughs) Little Mermaid made so much money. It's like, yeah, man. We can can not pay our writers, but we can make five more remakes no one will watch and hope that one of them does get watched. Um, So, Guy Ritchie reimagined this movie for a modern audience, which most of the time does not work. So he made this movie, right? And the plot of this movie... There's this king. His name is Uther Pendragon, played by the most generically faced actor I can think of, which is Eric Bana. Oh, come right? on. Yo. So king, yo, put, put some so respect king, on, and, on Eric Bana's name. Look, I like him, but he's got a very generic face. I'm just, I'm not, I'm, it's not a bad thing. That's just, right, that's for, just his for face. For everybody just, who thinks Eric Bana is generic, go watch Chopper. <laughs> okay, continue. That's a, good, that's a good point. That's a good point. He he just looks like he belongs in like a department store picture frame. You know what I mean? <laughs> he just looks like the face you would put in a department store picture frame. Um, not saying he's not talented. He is. He's pretty good. But it's it's just his face. So Eric Banda plays Uther Pendragon. He's the king of Camelot and he's defending his kingdom against the forces, the evil forces of Mordred, uh, who is like built up as this like very powerful dangerous mage and king uther decapitates him real easy uh, however what he doesn't know 
is that the coming of Mordred was the plans of his younger brother, Vortigern, right? Played by Jude Law. Yes. And Vortigern wants the throne for himself. And he has a couple of different plans. The first one is conspire with Mordred, not knowing that Mordred would be very easily defeated. In the first five minutes of the movie, mind you. <laughs> the first five minutes of the movie is a flashback to Uther beheading Mordred and then going on with his life. So Vortigern uh, uh, sacrifices his wife to a bunch of mermaids in exchange for uh, the powers of becoming the, a demon knight. And he kills Uther, he kills his wife, but he fails to kill Uther's son, the aforementioned Arthur. <gasps> Arthur floats away in a barge. I know, right? Arthur floats away in this little skiff to the streets of Londinium, which I don't know if you know this. <laughs> it was the old name for London. <gasps> kind of sounds like it. So, yeah. So, Arthur, who's really a prince, mind you, is raised from infancy by uh, the workers, the sex workers at a brothel in the streets of Londinium. And he becomes this crime boss, this very go-getter, enterprising crime boss who takes good care of his prostitute friends and his underlings. Right? And he bribes a bunch of officials and whatever. However, in the meantime, Vortigern has become king. Right? And he's building this tower of sorcery. And when he completes it, he's going to have powers untold. And by untold, I mean vague. The movie does not explain <laughs> what, what the tower is going to do. Um, so, here's the thing, though. Right as the tower is about to be completed the water in the nearby bay starts going down and it reveals the sword Excalibur impaled in stone, which is actually the corpse of King Uther, which is pretty metal. I actually like yes. that little detail. So Vortigern is like, I need to find where the fuck Arthur is because he's the only guy that can wield this sword and stop me from making my tower of e uh, vague evilness, right? That I bought using my wife's blood and corpse and fed it to a bunch of sirens. So he starts testing young lads and young men of about the right age in the land. And eventually he comes across Arthur. And of course, Arthur takes the sword out of the stone. And then a bunch of shenanigans happen that end in him uh, facing Vortigern uh, and usurping the throne with the help of his dad's knights, his streetwise friends, a couple of kung fu masters. <laughs> that too. That's, okay. Yeah. The, the aid of wizards and and lake spirits, you know, as you do, kung fu in medieval England. Sure, man. <laughs> when China had their own shit going on. And like, he defeats Vortigern. Spoilers, but he defeats Vortigern, right? Because this is a movie. And if you've ever seen a movie, you know how they work. Especially a movie like this one, which is very Hollywood. He defeats Vortigern. He takes the throne of England. And he... uh promises a brighter future with Excalibur in hand, which is why this movie is called King Arthur Legend of the Sword. It's referring to Excalibur. And that's yeah. the plot of this movie. And then there's a, <laughs> a sequel tease at the very end, which... Uh... There's, a there's a Marvel-style sequel tease at the end of, like, what is it? It's a table. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, shit, man. Well, yeah, it's, it's about the to table get real. and it's the Vikings, too. It's the table and the Vikings, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the the, so, the the main Viking captain that shows up in the film, that actor, he he's really, also really original in, name. He's in what other movie is he in? Damn it, he's no 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 no. He's in 
the new series, or I guess in the revival of Lars von Trier's show, which, which I'm blanking on the name right now. Yeah. I'm completely blanking on the name. Damn. Okay. Wow, Max, that's quite the note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. Wow. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm okay, kidding. so Come The on. Kingdom, The Kingdom Exodus is the name of the revived okay. show, and the actor's oh, I, I've, name, I've seen that show, yeah. the actor's name is Mikael Persbrandt. You sure it's not Peter Cullen? Wait, what? It's a Transformers reference. Oh Trying my to, god. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> it kind of does look like Peter Cullen. I will say, I may, I said that as a joke. He does look like Peter Cullen. Really? A so Peter bit, yeah. Cullen looks the like a he, he, like a Viking, like a like a yeah, just like at, a Scandinavian at a, at a guy. Beard and, yeah, at a beard, and he's he's a Scandinavian guy. Oh, so he doesn't but, have uh, a beard. Max, Max, we have uh, a structure to this show. I don't know if you remember this, but first we talk about the stuff that we actually did like. Which, as I mentioned, is quite a bit. <laughs> sure. Me. Okay. So, uh, in, if you want to get started, in that case, I can I can get started in terms of uh, before the the prologue to the story begins, which, as you so poignantly retold, is the origin yeah. of Arthur. In essence, there are some very sweet variations on the logos for all the studios and production companies involved. You can tell that a lot of effort was put into those. Yeah. The scale in this opening sequence is very, very impressive. You have giant elephants firing yeah, it's the rays best. It's of so cool. fire. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Yeah. I, and that's, elephants that's by like themselves about... are quite tall. Yeah. Anyway, oh, those awesome. elephants. They have, py- they have pyramids on their backs. Yeah, that's, what the f- that's where they fire the fire. <laughs> Yeah, they, they fire fireballs out of pyramids on giant elephants' backs, and it's amazing. Yeah. So I, I can confidently say that during the prologue, I was engaged. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, here's the thing. I What frustrates me about this movie, and it's not a movie worth getting frustrated over, really, because I really like, like, the more, like, what does what is Guy Ritchie's take on like an expanded King Arthur world, and like his perspective on especially like I wanted more of Mordred and like more of like what are the mages capable of? Because most of the time it's like possessing animals and stuff. Yeah, that's true. And like in this, or in the case of Vortigern, uh, killing his family members in order to get video game boss powers. Um, which is like transporting you to another dimension and lose fights. <laughs> Be designed to lose a fight. Um, yeah, and I really like that part of like, what what can Guy Ritchie do when they're just like, what if we had giant elephants in a movie? And I was like, this is insane. This is great. And then the fact that Uther just like jumps off a bridge with a hatchet and like abandons his horse in the way everyone abandons Yoshi in some levels in Super Mario World, just like for extra, <laughs> for a, a little bit of an extra jump. Um, and just like kick some ass with his magic sword, and then the the kung fu thing, which was really weird, and everything that was a weird choice or a choice that was really out there in this movie was so fun, and I was so into, and I could have watched four movies out of this. I could have watched an entire franchise out of that stuff, 
and then it gets into like the generic YA like all the cops have like black masks on and the king is super generic and everything else yeah. is super it's like I wanted more of like the expanded myth just make it weird man make this weird we've seen enough sanitized king arthur stuff already make this weird make I feel like what movies. what the studio tried to deliver was a a marvel movie game of thrones hybrid is that fair to say yeah, it feels a lot like that, and then it has just a lot of King of like Guy Ritchie flavor thrown in, which is the parts that I like. I like when this movie is allowed to be Guy Ritchie, and I like it when it's Game of Thrones. Like we're gonna have Keebler elves, and we're gonna have like, well, like mages riding elephants, throwing like, cause that's sort of the stuff that happens on Game of Thrones. It's the Marvel-y, like dumb little pieces of banter that don't really work and like the thesis for sequels and like uh, the name of Wetstick is really Tristan and you're like oh, you're supposed to be like oh my god it's Sir Tristan from the round table what <laughs> and then you're like jeez man and they're quite casual the, about you know they're very con casual con conserving the lore of King Arthur overall yeah. In terms of the wardrobe that everybody has, and <laughs> well, not really. What is possible in this world? I mean, they they don't really pay. They pay attention in terms of to make it look cool, but I yeah. I have a feeling that they sort of went fuck it with the rules. Is is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it is, and it's uh, it's better than that Robin Hood movie that came out, but it's more similar in ways that are they are different. You know what I mean? Like it's like that. Did you watch that Robin Hood movie with Taron Egerton? So uh. The Robin Hood movie with Taron Egerton, like it's very similar in that way of like everyone's kind of wearing J. Crew and everyone and the and you're kind of adapting middle age warfare to like dudes with bows like turning corners like they're in SEAL Team Six, which is like what what's what's going on here and having like automatic crossbows and and like treating and that's fine that's whatever like they're creating a fun fantasy world to set a movie in. And it's like weird, not really real history, but then you're mixing it with like Batman tropes and like they literally have this whole beat of like he's like a hooded vigilante and they mix it with like movies like Dark Knight and Arrow, which was already ripping off of Batman. And they have this whole like he's going far away to train and then he comes back and his girlfriend can't be with him because uh, of his secret life like. The real mask is the one. The real mask is the one before me. The real you is the hood, and you're like, this is literally a scene from Batman Begins. Like it's, and there's a lot of that sort of vibe, and that sort of intention, in this movie, which is a lot like. I mean, this movie is a lot more entertaining and weirder and more engaging than Robin Hood, and I I give this movie that, that it at least has like Guy Ritchie stuff to like cling to, and it has like what the fuck is going on with these fucking giant elephants. And why is Jude Law turning into a Dark Souls boss? Like, that part is cool. Yeah, and, I mean, look, again, this movie, I feel, is more engaging than that Robin Hood movie because it mm -hmm. allows itself to be weird and imaginative and to, and to at least ponder the existence of, like, wizard towers and giant elephants and the magic snake thing that comes near the end of the movie. And True. Like the demon knight. The existence what was that of like about actually? Stuff, like <laughs> that 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 demon knight was. I mean, look, it looks very generic, and it looks like a video game boss. But I was like, I'm I'm super into this. 
And I was, I admire this movie. That the biggest thing that I really like about this movie is like I admire how crazy it allows itself to be, with, especially with the kung fu shit. That kung fu dojo is real sus <laughs> for like a yeah. movie that's supposed to be set in the Middle Ages in England. In London, yeah, because bare knuckle boxing isn't as cool to look at as kung fu. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, but just like you could also like have cool sword fights and like. And they don't have a lot of those in this. They just have a lot of, like, kung fu. Be- again, because of the marvel of it all, I guess. Because they have a lot yeah. of, like, hand-to-hand combatants. And they have a lot of, like, Black Widow scissoring a guy with her... With her... Scissoring a leg and, like, taking a guy down. You know what I mean? Like, they have a lot of that in Marvel movies. They were just like, no, we need hand-to-hand combat in our King Arthur movie. That's about sword and... Literally sword and sorcery. And just just like, no, make cool sword and sorcery. That's what's cool about movies like this. Yeah. There's a there's a sequence, I think it's after the midpoint, where all of the prospective knights of the round table have to run away from the king's guard, right? And they all go, move! And then you get a brief shot of, like, the side of their face as they're running away. I think that's something that Guy Ritchie has done in films of his before. You can tell it's, yeah. it's a stylistic element. It's very nice. So many I, I, like, I like those so- shots a lot. So many guy, like all the fast talking montages where it's like witch George, and then like they're going through like the events of a day. Yeah, I really like that stuff. I really like that stuff, and it doesn't mesh with fully with like the more video gamey drama elements of this. It, in, in in my opinion, it actually doesn't at all. <laughs> That's it something that really, really, really took me out, even though I knew to expect it. Yeah, I knew to expect it because this is, at the end of the day, this is a Hollywood movie and you can tell Guy Ritchie is getting notes on like, no, we have to have like teases for the sequel and stuff and we have to have like a bigger expanded world that we can create like three streaming shows about. But I just, I I really enjoyed the King Arthur stuff and I really enjoyed the video game parts like as their own thing and they didn't fully mesh together. But let's keep saying good stuff because we haven't reached the bad stuff yet. I was gonna I mean, say how how much more good stuff score can is, you point out? The score is awesome. The this score where, to this movie that's a point is, where we divert. <laughs> I, I have to the be the score very to honest. this movie is so dope. I love this. Where they're singing like Celtic, and I was like, yeah, I'm so into this. <laughs> I was so into this. Yeah, I, I don't know. It 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 felt too pop <laughs> for me. It skewed a little too pop musicy for me personally. When the just the theme like Uther's theme where it's just like Celtic like throat like I was like yeah I'm into this and then it turned to like the the cool at least it didn't feel like typical medieval movie soundtrack to me. Sure, I'll, I'll give you that. I I I really enjoyed that. I like the production design. I like the the effects to a degree. There's a lot of scenes that are like lit, not great. Like they have like Disney plus TV show set in the volume problems, which is like they don't really light properly. So you can tell that they're not really in a Star Wars planet. Um, what else? I have a lot. of I have some good stuff to say. Um, I have. Go ahead. I have the Kung Fu thing. The Kung Fu, I was like, I was really into the Kung Fu thing. <laughs> it's okay. Really there's a couple of lines that are actually very funny, like when uh, the mage tells Bedivere, we got to take him to the Darklands, and Bedivere's like, that's not happening. And they do a hard cut to Bedivere saying, welcome to the Darklands. And that's 
I found that cut pretty fun. Um, yeah. uh, the duration's pretty good. Two hours tops. Um, there's one line in this movie. Uh, Arthur tells Vortigern after he defeats him, he says, you make sense of the devil. And that is a line that belongs in a better movie. <laughs> but it's a cool line. Um, I like the scenes where Arthur gets to use the power of Excalibur, just like the slow motion, him kicking some ass with with magic sword sort of stuff. That was yeah, fun. Th this is where the Marvel superhero influence is very, very visible because the sword very visible. causes sandstorms and also kind of gives Arthur super speed. It gives Arthur super speed, super strength, a, a vague control over interdimensional travel. Yeah. The power to destroy wizard towers, I think, is the thing. Like, he touches the sword to the altar and it brings down the wizard tower. Um, and, like, yeah, interdimensional travel. Because, like, when he grips the sword, it takes him out of the other dimension that Vortigern took him to. And it also, it also does, it does a couple more. Oh, it teleports, apparently. Like, the Lady of the Lake can give it to him. Like, it, it, the magic surrounding the sword allows him to transcend dimensions, which is kind of what I've already been saying. Yeah, the powers of Excalibur are kind of vague, but that's what makes it cool. <laughs> like, I like this Excalibur. Yeah, they, you know, the, the powers, the powers are connected to magic, and magic can be anything, basically. Yeah. And I, I like, again, I like the weird vibe this movie is giving when it's not being Guy Ritchie stuff. And when it's not being super generic, everything that has to do with Vortigern is very boring until he becomes the demon knight. And you're like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, but um, he, be he becomes the demon knight like during the climax. and He becomes the demon knight twice in this movie <laughs> and for like five minutes apiece. And everything else is just vaguely Nazi stuff and like him wear forcing his followers to wear masks. And it's like, this is the Middle Ages. You're trying to save money, man. It's like, why are you building masks for all these fucking idiots? And the reason is why... They didn't have enough extras. Um, also, the reason, I mean, besides on that thing that you just to, pointed out, th this film, to, like, Hunger Games it up. Warner Brothers didn't spare a lot of expenses. It was a very <laughs> expensive a film expense. to make. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah, but it's, you're counting on Guy Ritchie and Guy from Pacific, checks notes, Guy from Pacific Rim to sell this, and Jude Law and Eric Bana to sell this movie. It was like, I don't think you know how audiences work, man. This should have been Timmy C. This should have been Timmy Chalamet. You think so? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I There's this movie on Netflix where he's playing Henry V, which is actually pretty good, with Robert Pattinson okay. playing a, like the Dauphin of France. It's called The King. Right. Pretty fun. It's, it's a pretty good movie. I really like that. Um, but yeah, this this movie was like, what what's popular right now? And like you can tell because Astrid Burgess is in this movie. And Jude Law and Eric Bana are in the movie. And Charlie Hunnam, who's, like, fresh out of Pacific Rim sphere, is in this movie. Like, you, you can tell that the, that the executives were, like, public domain and we have to make it, ever, like, just like the Robin Hood thing. Like, Taron Egerton, Jamie Foxx, Jamie Dornan. I think, uh, yeah, Ben Mendelsohn, who's, like, the MVP of menacing, vaguely defined bad guys. And F. Murray Abraham is in that Robin Hood movie. And oh. I was very mad. I was very mad that they did that to F. Murray Abraham. You don't fuck with F. Murray Abraham, man. Don't do that to him. Right. Yeah. So that's that's good. Most of the good stuff I have to say is like, I find this movie very fun. <laughs> I find this movie to be very fun. It's dumb and it's stupid, but I was engaged in how dumb and stupid it is. 
and I have a lot of fun watching this movie. I see. I I mean, first of all, good for you. I mean, I'm not trying to take this away from you, like, at all. Yeah. Um, But, and, well... Let's transition into the, uh, the, the arguably slightly more exciting part of the show. But the, so the fast talking montage where they talk to this guard about what they did to the Vikings. To Roose Bolton. Yeah, to Roose Bolton, who was like, he nails that role every time. He's really good at playing that sort of character. Well, there you see. It's, I found that part very convoluted and confusing and not very funny. Again, that's just me, though. Okay, uh, I found it funny and engaging because it did feel like a Guy Ritchie sort of thing of like, what happened in this guy, in this guy? and it's a, But it's a very disconnected from the rest of the movie except for that one part where like he's trying to convince the band of thieves to be like, no, we can't talk to the noblemen. Like that's the only other part of the movie where that happens. Where yeah. They have like a fast-talking, well-edited montage and like... Yeah, if if you have to let Guy Ritchie do his stuff, otherwise it doesn't feel like a Guy Ritchie movie. Like that's kind of why I was like, why, why did Guy Ritchie have to make that Aladdin movie? Anyone could have made that Aladdin movie. Just let him do Guy Ritchie stuff, and they didn't didn't let him do Guy Ritchie stuff in the Aladdin movie. Well, I mean, I would imagine. I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine. Uh, there's there's a there's a specific reason. We don't have to get into that right now. Uh, yeah, we everybody, don't. We don't er, everyone we know should get prop. Everyone should be properly paid. Then, everyone. yeah, the 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 yeah, r- right after the uh, right after the prologue, and we arrive in the present tense of the film, when yeah. uh, Arthur wakes up and is sort of breathing heavily in his bed, and then uh, sort of hitting his chest in between uh, kung kung fu sparring sessions. That felt like yeah. like an axe <laughs> commercial to me, if I'm very honest. Yeah. It might have been. Like, he has that very crisp haircut. Like, yeah, Middle Ages where everyone had a bowl haircut. <laughs> like a fucked up hairline. Yeah, he's got that very crisp hair. He's always clean. He's got clean clothes. Like, sterling white clothes all the time. Yeah, it's that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. Really very, like that. very polished in that sense. Very, very polished. Very Not a lot polished. of dirt in this King Arthur adaptation. So I have uh, – we're going to do serious notes before we do funny notes. So the first thing that I wrote here is um, Jude Law is uh, kind of like Orson Welles in this sense, in the sense that he's one of the best performers that is consistently stuck in mediocre stuff that he does for the money. Like he, sure. like he does this, and he does the Fantastic Beasts movies, and you just see him in like – the most random stuff and you're like but i like jude law like i like jude law as a as a persona i guess so that's why you're like sure i'm fine with uh, yeah he's gonna play dumbledore that's fun and then you watch those movies and you're like i hate these movies <laughs> i hate i hate the fantastic base movies so much um and it's but it's not jude, jude law's fault it's never jude law's fault okay and he's such a prominent part of these movies and i'm like if they gave him a sliver more of this character than just like he's so evil he sacrifices his wife and his daughter in exchange for dark souls powers like i'd be i'd be more excited for him to play a villain cuz you, when you're like Jude Law is playing a bad guy you're like oh shit i i like 
the idea of Jude Law playing a bad guy. Yeah, he his motivation was power for the power's sake, which yeah. I mean it, it 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 comes across the way it sounds like it's 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 a little bit boring. Yeah, if he if, here's the thing: if you're gonna design a villain, you have to make him either one more interesting or like fleshed out, or two more fun to watch. Like you have to. You sh- he should have had to hem this performance up if he's like this unstable, power hungry. I'm willing to sacrifice my daughter to mermaids in exchange for Dark Souls powers. You have to make him more fun to watch and have him do Nick Cage stuff. Have him throw shit around. Have him do Sophie Turner and do revenge shit of just like I don't do cocaine. Just like have him do crazy shit, and I would have been more interested. Otherwise, just make him a real character. Because <laughs> other, because like I'm still watching a movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and to that point, I mean, the scene where he sacrifices his daughter to the sirens. Just, yeah, it it, it felt a bit corny to me. If I'm honest, is like no one sets out to do something like that on purpose. So. I I feel bad pointing it out. Yeah, I I think most of the stuff that I don't like about this movie has to do with Vortigern, which, by the way, I want to talk about him a little bit as as a character, not just the performance, because okay. I've never seen a movie antagonist that is so bad at planning, just absolutely dog shit plans this guy has, and he's king, which really reflects the reality of like. People in power don't have to be smart. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's that's that. They, they the, have the to whole, make like, deals with the devil. They have to sell their souls. Yeah, and even when they sell their soul, they make dog shit decisions. So here's the thing. Okay, plan A, right? Plan A. Conspire with a wizard that is very easily defeated. <laughs> Just incredibly easily defeated by one guy. And that one guy didn't lose anything but his horse. That's the only thing that he lost is his horse, which, again, he used, like, Yoshi <laughs> in the Mario game of, like, jumping off a cliff on Yoshi and getting an extra jump with the horse. Very, It, it was very funny to me. It was sad to be like, why is he killing his horse? And then I compared it to Yoshi, and it was fun. Um, So that's plan A, an easily defeatable mage. In case that fails, there's plan B, which is I'm going to go to this well of sirens that is near where I live and nobody knows except me somehow which is like he should be she, he should have to travel farther to find those sirens because otherwise they're just under Camelot and the king Uther Pendragon and all of his mage buddies have no idea that th- these sirens are in the caves under the castle which is very funny to me so plan B is he kills his wife sacrifices it to these sirens in exchange for video game boss powers that he uses against his brother. Hopefully he kills Uther, Uther's wife and his son. If the son escapes, he's screwed. <laughs> he is completely screwed and this movie, the entire movie is proof of this. Later in the movie, you hear from the sirens. The price for whatever you desire is the blood of one of your loved ones, which means Vortigern intentionally was like I'm going to kill my parents. I, I'm not going to wish for, like, my entire family just falls dead, right? Like, right on the spot. He's like, I want demon knight powers. I want Dark Souls boss powers 
and they fail him once. And then later in the movie, he sacrifices his daughter for powers that have failed him beforehand, and he fails again. He, he kills his family for nothing. He, he kills his family Basically. for absolutely nothing. He kills his family for like a good 20 years of him building a tower. And he doesn't finish the tower. <laughs> he doesn't he, he doesn't get anything that he wants. He's it's it, I was laughing so hard. When I, I was writing this paragraph down, I was like, he's so dog shit at planning. And it says, in case B fails, kill daughter 20 years later for the same video game powers that failed you before in order to kill Arthur. Hopefully he can kill Arthur this time. Hopefully Arthur doesn't get an anime style flashback from his dad telling him the sword is yours now, son. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, too bad too for good old Vortiger, huh? Too bad for good old Vortigern. And to add on top of the whole he's dog shit at plants thing, one, he creates a plan that gets his... Oh, the only person that he trusts, which is Lord Mercia, murdered. That's one of his plans. <laughs> and it doesn't get him Arthur. Arth he does not capture Arthur. And he loses the commander of all of his armed forces. And then the next plan he has is like, I'm going to kidnap the mage and the little kid, take them to my castle, and hold them as ransom for... Arthur to surrender himself. Great plan, right? Here's the flaw in the plan. He lets the mage go. <laughs> He's like, oh, I have the sword? Okay, I'm gonna let the mage go. You know, someone whose powers I am intimately associated with, considering the fact that I've studied with mages, and I know what they're capable of, right? So he sends the mage back to Arthur. Arthur comes into the hall and just, like, ruins his plan with the snake that the mage supplied him. And then after that, you can see blood on Vortigern's face, and that's where he goes. I need to kill my daughter in order to kill my nephew. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's where the second half of Plan B, because Plan C didn't work. Plan B Part Two has to activate, <laughs> and then he's dog shit at planning, man. He's so bad, it made me laugh. I was like, I almost felt sorry for Vortigern, and then it's like, no, he's killing his family like a fucking chump for nothing. Quite tragic, one would think, but it doesn't quite come across within no, the two hours and six minutes that this movie takes. Yeah. Listen, this movie, <laughs> unfortunately, because I mean, we, obviously everyone deserves and should have success in this world, this yeah. film bombed at the box office. It made around $140 oh, million dollars on a $180 million budget. Yeah. And I have a, a why? I, I I have a <laughs> I have a little theory here, and two thousand seventeen we were sort of in the early stages of the internet culture war. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. so I think we were we were in Trump land by that point. We were in Trump yeah, world. That's true. So yeah, it was all culture wars by this point. We were we were starting to go all in on culture wars. We get political on the show. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. the both of us. We were getting pulled the fuck <laughs> in. We were on 4chan debating those people. Yeah. We were we were at the front lines of Reddit uh arguing against a bunch of fucking chodes <laughs> to see if we could like change some hearts and some minds, you know what I mean? Like through honest debate. Yeah. Which is like, the... like they say in the in the theme song to the Transformers movie, uh, we had the touch. We had the power. 
Or at least we thought we did. At least we thought we did, man. But anyway, I feel like the people who spend their time complaining about inclusivity in film and video games. This King Arthur movie was for them, and they didn't go watch it. Otherwise, we would have had the three to four sequels for it. No, uh, here's my theory as to why this movie didn't work. Uh, Nobody gives a shit about King Arthur. (laughs) Nobody outside of, like, everyone who plays D&D, which is not a huge crowd. It's not as big a crowd as you would think gives a fuck about King Arthur. And even less people give a fuck about who the fuck Guy Ritchie is. All right? I'm sorry that I'm swearing so much. I like swearing. I I feel better. It's just, it's very, you're limiting yourself a lot when you're like a Guy Ritchie movie starring Charlie Hunnam. You're like, who the fuck is Charlie Hunnam? He's the guy from Pacific Rim. And you're like, Idris Elba? Like, who who are you talking about, man? (laughs) What are you you saying here? Ron Perlman? Charlie Day? (laughs) But also, like... The people who spend their time complaining about the fact that you can have they, them pronouns in the new fucking, what's it called, Starcraft game? Starfield. Starfield, I'm so sorry. The people who complain about that shit. Yeah, I get that. Just just stop complaining and go see movies like King (laughs) Arthur. Go see movies like The Northman, for example, which is also very... Heavy testosterone yeah. filled take on mythology yep. that completely bombed at the literally, box office. Literally about Slavic stuff. You should have loved this. Like white supremacists should have loved that movie, and none of them went to see it. Yeah, just just like dude bros should have loved both of these films. And yeah, man, they didn't Cobra show Tate up for either. Have, That's weird. Cobra That's Tate very fans weird. Should have been all over those movies, yeah, and they weren't. What opened on that weekend? Let me see. On, on the Check weekend the... for King Arthur, you mean? Yeah, let me see what opened at the right. same time, or, or near the same time, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. I also like the, why is there a colon? You could just name this King Arthur, and just being like, but I, I can imagine like uh, <laughs> the executives being like, they're going to confuse it with the Clive Owen movie, and you're like, nobody gives a fuck who Clive Owen is, man. What are you talking about? Well, yeah, sure. You could have also just named this Arthur, but then there would have been confusion with the PBS animated TV show. So, um, the film's failings were called historic. Holy shit! Wow, that's terrible. Wow, that was, that's that's not that's not great. It was released alongside Snatched, which is an Amy Poehler Goldie Hawn comedy. No, Amy Schumer Goldie Hawn comedy and right. Lowriders. Which is a movie uh written made by Ricardo de Montreal, which I have no idea what that is. However, it must have been something else that very weekend. What came what day did it come out? It, it might have been the May- second or third weekend of, of another big film. So it was May twenty seventeen. It was probably Doctor Strange or something. No, Doctor Strange was late twenty sixteen, but regardless. Oh yeah, that's right. Doesn't yeah, matter. so it's probably like, oh, it wasn't Black Panther yet, uh, because that came out twenty eighteen. That doesn't that doesn't matter. May twenty seventeen box office. Let me check. Uh, what movie came, uh, domestic box office for May tenth? Guardians of the Galaxy two. That would be it. Was still in the theater. Uh, Fate of okay. 
yeah, Fate, Fate of the Furious, the Beauty and the Beast remake, the Boss Baby. Huh. <laughs> oh, that's great. Another movie starring Charlie Hunnam, The Lost City of Z. Well, yeah, but the, uh, that was an indie. That was an limited release, I, I feel. That was an indie, yeah. A Kong Skull Island, Logan, the Power Rangers movie, the Ghost in the Shell live-action remake, uh, one of my favorite movies, Your Name, the Lego Batman movie, <laughs> Hidden Figures, holy shit. Um, yeah, I, I feel like a bunch of those were in limited release at this point, so we can those, safely yeah. assume that Fate of the Furious and Guardians 2 yeah. We're still in wide yeah, yeah, release like alongside King Arthur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was along those it was along those lines. Yeah, that was okay. this is according to Box Office Mojo by IMDb Pro. Uh, yeah, so that was that was quite a time for a movie to be released. Yeah, just Guardians, Lo- just Guardians and Logan and Fate of the Furious. That's that's stiff competition, buddy. And also, nobody gives a fuck about King Arthur. That's 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 the winning. It's kind of like the Robin Hood movie. It's like, yeah, they like Ter- the youth likes Taron Egerton and and uh, Jamie Foxx, but they don't really care about Robin Hood, man. And this is a studio that made Hunger Games. They should have been more on the pulse of like, what are teenagers reading right now? You know? Yeah, sure. There's, I feel like there's enough nostalgia for both of these characters with a certain crowd, but I mean, yeah. The, the numbers appear to prove me wrong. I don't know. It's... Do you want to go into random notes? Sure. Uh, so, like I pointed out when you first uh, proposed this movie for the poll, uh, uh, football, soccer, <laughs> superstar, David Beckham has a brief yeah. role in the film as the guy who instructs the young people of Lindinium how to pull the sword out of the stone he does pretty good he does pretty good he's like hey i want you to sit on my lap what do you think <laughs> i want it's you to sit a, on my knee what do you it's think? a funny hybrid between old-time english and the way david beckham speaks yeah it's very it was, funny it was amusing i liked it yeah um so uh first note that i have is the fact that i cringed when i saw the rat pack logo <laughs> i i cringed a little when I saw that Rat Pack logo, it's it's been a while since I've seen that Rat Pack logo. So when I saw it, I was like, I did not remember that this it was, was a nice variation by on Ratner. that Rat Pack logo. No, but I mean because of Brett Ratner. <laughs> oh, I don't mean because yeah. I I don't mean because I don't like Rat Pack. I I mean it because Brett Ratner is intimately involved with the production of this movie, and well, to the point okay. that like when the Justice League, uh, the theatrical cut of Justice League was released in home media they cut the rat pack logo out of it oh i didn't know that that's okay that's how far from grace i mean that's the consequences of me too for brett ratner it's like yeah your name is not gonna appear in our movies (laughs) anymore so yeah that's that's a little note that i have um the mages so the beginning of this movie the entire framing device for this movie in a way is predicated on the fact that for some reason, uh, mages and humans are at war with each other. And I'm like, wait, are mages not human? What's going on here? And then later, and then at the beginning, you can assume like, well, mages are different from normal humans in the sense that they have access to magic. And you're like, oh, I get it. And then Mm -hmm. later in the movie, Vortigern starts like spinning around a ball of fire in his hand. And you're like, wait, so like, 
can people become mages or like are they born what's going on in this movie why are mages being hunted and then i equated it to religion and i was like the causes are still too vague and i still don't understand how mages are being hunted down by the hundreds and killed by regular ass dudes when they can literally control fire and force giant elephants <laughs> to stampede throughout the land it's really weird yeah sort of vaguely undefined it's kind of like if for some reason you know the harry potter wizards are like the reason we hide from humanity is so they don't hunt us it's like what like five of you could dominate the world if you wanted <laughs> what, what are you talking about it's really weird yeah but the, i mean like, i feel like for harry potter at the very least you know in in that world i think it's the 80s and 90s right it's when the main story happens by that point, you've had the atomic 90s, bomb and the, the Holocaust, yeah. so sure. That's a good point. That it's is, it's, it's believable a, for them to say so they don't hunt us. Not as believable in terms sure, of the relationship yeah. between and, mages and humans. And not to give credit to the Fantastic Beast movies, because I don't want to. But I just remembered that actually that's one of the things that Johnny Depp as Grindelwald, before he was recast, says to his fellow wizards. It's like, dude, they just invented atom bombs. Like... How long will it take before they shoot atom bombs at us? And it's like, dude, you can you can totally like stop an atom bomb. You have spells that can freeze time. You have time traveling devices, man. What are you what the fuck are you talking about, man? But yeah, the mage stuff is weird to me. Fair enough. Um I had the Yoshi thing as a as a note. Um the fact that Uther kills Mordred so easily makes me believe. He could have avoided a lot of death, and he didn't. <laughs> he could have avoided a lot of death by himself, and he didn't. Yeah, well, yeah, to to a certain extent, I suppose. Yeah. Um, weird lighting. Weird lighting in a couple of those. I mentioned that. Yeah, um, some dodgy camera shaking as well. I was like, uh, hell yeah, there's kung fu in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was... By the time the Kung Fu stuff shows up, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I saw the elephants, and then they did the Guy Ritchie crime thing. And then it's like, he's learning Kung Fu in Lon in when London was called... Lo I get it if it was like 1910s London or 1850s London. You know what I mean? Like Sherlock Holmes, Victorian London. I get that there's a lot of Chinese people, but like... The Chinese have a prosperous empire in their own corner of the world at this point. What's going on here, man? Yeah, it's it's probably just because Kung Fu looks cool. It's probably because Kung Fu looks cool. And you know what? I completely agree. Um, Me too. Uh, why didn't Vortigern just murder Uther in his sleep? Because <laughs> I was like, well, the reason he doesn't is because one, a movie has to happen. And two, exactly. he lacks the nerve. But True. then I remembered that he kills his wife and daughter. I can't think of anything that requires more nerve when it comes to fulfilling ambitions than killing your well, own wife and daughter. He does kill his wife and daughter in the most cowardly way possible, though. Wouldn't you agree there? <laughs> yeah, but he could also, like, slit Eric Bana's throat while he sleeps and nobody would suspect this. Like, his brother did this? Like, what the fuck? It's probably the mages that he fought. Like, immediately after they lose the fight against the mages, he could have just been like, I'm going to slit their throats while they sleep and blame it on the mages. And then he, the exact same movie happens, but Arthur doesn't exist. <laughs> and he finishes his vaguely defined tower of evil 
and everything is all sure. right for him. And he does, and he doesn't have to murder anyone, which is the best part. He doesn't have to murder anyone in his family. Well, except for his brother. Except for his brother and his yeah. his in laws. Um, there you go. Another note: uh, Kingsley Benadire is in this movie, and since I just saw him in Secret Invasion, I don't know any other stuff that he's in that's actually good besides Barbie. So I was like, Kingsley Benadire, what's going on, man? <laughs> what's can, going on with well, your agent, buddy? He's in he's in the high fidelity TV adaptation that should have had a second season with Zoe Kravitz. Okay. He's also in One Night in Miami, which is oh, that's fantastic. right. He is in One Night in Miami. So retra- I retract what I said. Um. At one point in the movie, I was like, oh, shit, it's Dr. Lady from The Mummy. And she's playing exactly the same character. <laughs> Just like vaguely yeah. defined woman with badass responsibility. And you're like, what? <laughs> sure. Since this, this movie is for dudes, we don't have any time for chicks, man. No we chicks We don't have any allowed. time for chicks, man. No I was, chicks I was on gonna screen. Be like, at one point, I was like, is she Guinevere? What's going on here? And she's, no, she's Maggie. <laughs> She's Maggie from Londinium, and she's like a basically King Vortigern's community manager. And you're like, what's going? What's going on here, man? She's essence, literally Doctor Lady from the Mummy playing the same character. It came out the same year. These two characters she's, appeared in the same year. Really? Yeah, it's mum, she's mum, Tom the, Cruise's Mummy came out in 2017. Yeah, she's the community outreach liaison. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exa- yeah, which is totally a thing in medieval England. But so's kung fu. You know what I mean? So like exactly. I just there found it very funny that like, especially with this character of Vortiger and the way that they shaped him is like, why does he need a community outreach liaison? <laughs> why would he appoint one and be like so affectionate to her? Of like Maggie, uh, are, we're friends, right? And Maggie's like, I love you, King. And he's like, thanks for saying that, Maggie. <laughs> like he's kinder to her in this movie than he is to anyone else. Maggie sure. betrays him. Maggie betrays him and he doesn't do anything to her. And he kills his own daughter. <laughs> he kills his own daughter, man. Yeah, but I, I think that what they're going for is that everyone around the king is afraid of him. He has that big speech about fear and the feeling yeah. that people fearing you gives you. And then it's it's quite obvious when you ask her, do the people love me? And she goes, well, I love you. And since I'm one of the people... Yeah, the people love you, which is, I mean, <laughs> it's it's, it's like a classic correlation causation fallacy. So speaking of correlation causation fallacies, uh, there is a part in this movie. So Vortigern captures Arthur after he faints, which is again like he was he's so bad at being a bad guy that Arthur has to literally faint <laughs> in order for him to get caught. So Vortigern is sitting with him, and he's like. So uh, you're the born king, huh? And Arthur's like, dude, I can just disappear. Nothing would ever happen again. I could just go home and everything would be fine. And he's like, well, uh, you're a street savvy crime boss that has gathered quite a bit of money. So I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I think because you collect a lot of money, I think you're going to usurp my throne. So I got to murder you. I got to execute in front of all these motherfuckers. And then he gives him further drive to depose him he gives him all the tools arthur needs to depose him in that one scene where he like murders one of the prostitutes and then he ransacks his house and then attempts to execute him 
well knowing that mages are going to try and help him. <laughs> and he again, he knows what mages are capable of. He knows that there's been rioting because of the existence of Arthur. And he's still like, nah, man, we're going to publicly execute you with minimal security. Just like one guard. <laughs> Just like one one guard on stage. No mages that could defend us against magic. No one. <laughs> not not a single thing. <laughs> he's terrible at this, man. He's so bad at being a movie villain. Unfortunately. Unfortunately for him, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately for him and the movie, he's he's terrible at at villaining. Uh I have more notes. I have so many notes. So, so the mage is unnamed. Yeah. The mage character in this movie is unnamed, which makes me think one of two things. One, uh she's very half-baked, which she is. It's really one of three things. Two, she's supposed to be Morgan Le Fay and they're going to do a big reveal in the sequel of like I'm your sister and they're like, everyone's like, "What? How?" But, yeah. Yeah. That's the second thing. I have no idea, man. They can pull stuff out of their ass. This is a movie with Dark Souls, Demon Knights, and giant elephants and kung fu. Everything everything goes in this sort of shit. And the third thing that this made me think is like, this would have been way more fun if Merlin was the mage accompanying her instead of being sequel bait. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Yeah, but then again, you don't get uh, checks notes. Hot girl from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 4. <laughs> then, then you don't get the mermaid from Pirates of the Caribbean 4. You know, that movie that is right on the pulse of pop culture that came out, what, three years before this movie came out? Nah, come on, <laughs> like... I couldn't have known. You're being a little harsh there. Yeah, they couldn't. they couldn't have known. They couldn't have known nobody would watch this movie. Um, so uh, in the flashback we see uh, King Eric Banner throw the Excalibur sword up into the air in a way that it comes back down and it impales himself I was just saying, pointing out I mean he has amazing throwing skills maybe amazing amazing throwing skills in another and that life, makes for a cool thing yeah, but in another life, maybe he became like a spear thrower or something like that. Maybe a professional athlete. Yeah. Maybe he was in the Olympics. Who knows? Maybe, you know, in another life, he was uh, the best warrior of Troy and easily the best fighter Achilles has ever fought. Possibly. Okay. Uh, well, that was King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Again, a movie I enjoy unironically quite a bit. Yet, um, yet you shit on for like 20 minutes. Yeah, it's look, it's fun to shit on. It's, I do it out of love. You know what I mean? Like, no, yeah. No, I, no. And that, that, that was a joke. You, know, you, you should, the yeah. things you love the most, you should be able to see with critical eyes. That is, yeah. that is a very I, I, important thing about media literacy that a lot of people yeah. today just don't have, sadly. 100%. Look, I, I hate Secret Invasion because I love the MCU. I really like the MCU. I detested Secret Invasion. And the more I thought about it, the more frustrated I got. The worse but it's it got. Comes from, but it comes from a place of like, I love the MCU so much. It deserved even like a very, a fairly popcorny, you know, mainstream part of pop culture deserves better than this. You know what I mean? It's of a, course. It's a touchstone. It's very literally a touchstone for our generation, like a cultural touchstone for our generation. And like, but I can feel, I can, like, imagine the frustration of, like, Star Wars fans with the prequels when they came out or 
even Rise of, like Rise of Skywalker, which I don't really enjoy. Like I can understand that. And like that's what happened to me with Secret Invasion. I was like, what is this what's this bullshit? <laughs> what's this six episode bullshit that you put me through, man? Sadly. Yeah. It's kinda look, like as a lifelong Transformers fans uh, well not fan. I said I said fans by accident. As mm. lifelong Transformers fan, like the Michael Bay movies, two through five are like they're straight rough. out of a dog's they're, they're straight out rough. of a dog's asshole. They are straight out of a dog's asshole. They're so bad. And <laughs> they the are, third one s- they did that one on film. They Yeah. <laughs> they did they did a lot they did a lot of the first one on film too. Like you can tell. And the but the third one they did like a bunch of like the third one is unhinged because first of all it's like so the dark side of the moon is hiding a transformer ship you're like what the fuck is going on <laughs> what the fuck is happening in this movie anyway. and then the rest of the movie unfolds and yeah. then uh, Shia LaBeouf fights uh, uh, Patrick Dempsey <laughs> and you're like what is what that's that's so, the big climax of the movie is him true. fighting Patrick Dempsey and you're like what. You gotta watch it to find out. Anyway. You gotta watch it to find out. So, when it comes to our poll. Yeah. Which films are on there besides King Arthur, which we just did? I remember Manta Manta being on there. Manta Manta is one of them. Yeah. I remember Cocktail Um, starring Tom Cruise. I think we had Deep Blue Sea. There you go. Deep Blue Sea was the third one. those 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 are the three. So, I think... We should replace this movie with a movie more people have watched, which would be Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. What do you think? Sure. It fits the category of blockbusters. Uh, and if it wins, because we've already conditioned this a little bit, <laughs> if that movie wins, we're going to have a special guest for the first time on this show so, to talk about Indiana Jones with us. So if you want look out for that. people... If you want people other than me and Max uh, talking about Indiana Jones, please vote for Indiana Jones. If not, vote for any of the other three movies, and it's going to be a fun time regardless. Either way. Either way. Thank you so much for (laughs) listening to this podcast. We hope you had as much fun listening as we had fun making it. Uh, I talked a lot during the show. I apologize. I talked a lot. I talk a lot in general, but I talked a lot during this show because I had a lot to say and <laughs> a lot of notes. There you go, Pat. Uh, would you like plan. to? Would you like to uh, hand out any social media or anything like that? Oh my goodness! Uh, so first of all, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter at Pat is an idiot. You can also find me on Threads under the same name uh, because let's try to get some traffic to Threads before. Uh, they start charging for Twitter and we all have to move and we all have to figure out the ecosystem and shit. Mm. You can also find me on Letterboxd. Also, Pat is an Idiot. It's linked to my Twitter account. So you can find me on Pat is an Idiot on either of those two sites. And uh, yeah, Max, I have a very serious question for you. Uh, do you have right. any socials that you want to hand out to the audience? Well, you can find me on the cold streets of autumn. It's uh, it's getting colder, <laughs> but I'm gonna be out there. You're you're in a place day. that's actually cold, though. Here's the thing: you're in a place that's actually cold. It's September and it's still hot as fuck here. All right, it is very hot. Right. Well, it hasn't rained in a second, so it's, other than it's that, still hot. you can find me at Massware uh, Eleven on Letterboxd. Yeah. 
uh, I've been watching not, a lot of movies recently. lately. Uh, yeah. Excited about it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And yeah. uh, hopefully we'll meet again next week. Hopefully. Uh, please uh, f- subscribe to this podcast. Uh, follow us on wherever podcasts are heard. I think we're only on Spotify right now. Maybe we're in a couple more like low-key we're, we're, platforms. We're on, we're, on, we're, on, we're on iTunes as well. We're, we're on Apple Podcasts, sorry. We're, we're on, on Apple, Apple Podcasts Podcast now. That's fun. So we, you can totally check like us out. We've been from the very get-go. I don't, I don't know why you're saying it like that. We've been on Apple Podcasts from the very get-go. So go check us out uh, on either of those two platforms or anywhere. If you just type Bomb Shelter into the search bar and it comes up uh, with the cover that I designed a long time ago that you've seen in every other show. Uh, Yeah, subscribe to us there. Subscribe to us on multiple platforms. Listen to us on all of them at the same time. That very much going to drive up our engagement. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye.